morena, morena, pomare, um, katsupehea koto, katsupai, it's good, right? It's the national language of our entire country. Um, and buenos dias, buenos dias, como estas, good to see you, good Spanish people. Don't forget, Victoria translates the message, so if you hear like mumbling from the back, it's not like shady, it may be people talking at the back, I don't know who knows, there's some shady looking people at the back, um, but it'll be Victoria translating, so if you hear that and you're freaking out, that's what's going on. Um, good to see you all, eh? Hey, um, I'm pretty excited about this um, message this morning, so we're starting this new series, um, I Am, uh, Jesus in his own words is what we're, we're calling it, and so I'm going to explain a lot more as we're going through. This is kind of the intro. So most of you know there's seven I am statements. Seven is always like God's number, like the perfect number. So seven I am statements of Jesus, and you can see like each little symbol is representing another one of the, the I am statements. So like the one at the end is, um, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, I'm the light of the world. I'm the gate. So it's cool. So we're going to go through each of these um, over the next few weeks, and um, this morning, though, I want to do a bit, of a, a bit of an intro about it, right, and kind of get us kind of thinking down this, this right track. Um, so I think one of the things that is super important for us as humans is to, to make sure God defines himself for us, right? So one of the things I want to talk a lot about this morning is there's always a danger that we have defined God in our image, okay, that we've defined God in our image. So what I'm meaning by that is for a lot of, a lot of Christians, um, Instead of allowing God to define himself through the Bible, uh, we define God based on what our likes are, what our dislikes are, um, what our beliefs are, what feels good to us. And that's why often if you talk to Christians, they have all these different versions of God, if you like, right? And it's because instead of making sure we trust the Bible, we've, um, we've defined God, right? Um, and when, when you meet someone, you always want them to explain who they are, Right? And they're not going to tell you it in a technical way. So here's my good friend, Lucas. When I first meet Lucas, if I'd never met him before, and I say, hey, so who are you? He's not going to say, well, I'm six foot eight. I have curly hair and whatever, you know. He's going to tell me a bit about who he is and describe himself, right? So that's, that's one of the things we're going to look at um, with God this morning. So to get us thinking about this whole describing thing, um, as you guys know, Jason and I lived in America for like seven years, for quite a long time. Um, and it was hilarious over there with people trying to um, guess who we were. And Americans, I love Americans, right? But they're quite arrogant, and they were more trying to tell you who you are rather than ask you who you are. And some of the things that always cracked me up was accents. So heaps of Americans would come up to, they'd hear me speak, and often they'd like run to get a friend to just come and hear us say something, which was super weird. Um, but then they'd come and they'd uh, say to you, oh, I know where that accent's from. That accent's from England. And you'd be like, how is that even possible? Like for us, we're like, really? And the one that always drove me nuts is obviously the one where they'd be like, oh, yeah, I've got a good friend. So they're, they're trying to figure out who you are. They're trying to define you, right? And they'd be like, oh, I have a good friend who sounds exactly like you. You're from Australia. And you'd like strangle them, punch them in the stomach. No. Heaps of times I'd just be like, ha, yeah, sure, Australia, whatever, even though I hated that everything within me, right? I love Australians. Love you, Al. You're good, bro. Um, and the one that cracked me up the most, and like Americans are very, like their geography is disastrous, absolutely disastrous, right? A lot of them don't even know the states of their, they'll know their state, but they couldn't name all the other states. It's hilarious, right? Um, and so to figure out where New Zealand is is just the funniest thing ever. And so we used to have people come up to us regularly trying to tell, again, they're telling us rather than asking us, trying to tell us where um, we were from on the planet. And often they would ask us, how long did it take, this is totally honest, how long will it take you to drive home? 
And I'd just be like, really? Are you serious? And I had this crazy chat. One of the guys I worked with, a guy, Tom, awesome dude, um, I was working with in Chicago, and he was t- we were coming home for the, the summer break from America, right? They have three months off. We're at university. And he said to me, so how long is it going to take you to, to drive home? Is it like seven hours? And I was just like, how can you be? I didn't say this out loud because I was a nice guy. In my head, I'm like, how can you be this ridiculous seven hours? And I said, nah, man, you have to fly. So it's about an eight-hour flight, Chicago to LA, and then about a 12, give or take-hour flight from LA back to New Zealand. He's like... So is there like a bridge or something to drive home? And I was just like, so this happened a lot, right? This kind of thing. My favorite one, again, in people defining us rather than asking us to define ourselves, um, was my wife was talking to a guy, again, in Chicago. Chicago people seemed a lot ruder than people. We lived in Denver for a while, too. They were heaps nicer. Um, and this guy came up to Joe, and this is kind of funny. So he came up to Joe, and he said, oh, he knew she was from New Zealand. And he said to her, oh, you know, I just love New Zealand. It's such a beautiful country. And she was like, oh, it really is. Eh? He said, yeah, yeah, we traveled through there on our last trip of Europe. And Joe just went, oh, no, no, no. Maybe you're thinking of like um, Zealand and Holland or something. Where you... No, no, no. No, no, I, we traveled through New Zealand and Europe. And it was beautiful mountains. And she was like, yeah, so that's where I come from. So I kind of know where it is on the planet. And they were in this big dining room, and the guy ended up having this massive, like, actually screaming and yelling at Joyce because Joyce was so foolish. How could she not even know where she was from? And oh, it got very intense, right? Very intense. It was a little bit ridiculous. So one of the things we have to make sure we know is um, is to to de- define ourselves, right? Define ourselves. And so, like I said, one of the the big questions I want you to think about this morning is how do you know that the definition you have of God is correct? Does it make sense? How do you know that the definition you have of God is correct? Because it may be a construct of your own imagination. (laughs) Um, Your definition of God, your definition of Jesus may just be something that you have created rather than asking God to reveal himself. Who are you, God? So how how do you know that your definition of God, how do you know that your definition of Jesus is correct rather than a, a construct? Kind of a scary question, right? I think it's a scary question. Okay, hey, let me um, um, let me get us going with, with a couple of quotes. So first of all, the first part I'm going to talk about is who does God say he is? And then at the end, we're going to talk a little bit about um, Jesus, right? Even though I'm kind of introducing this whole I Am series. Um, so who does God say he is? That's, that's the core question, right? How does God define himself? And, and do I hold on to that? Or have I kind of defined God on some things that feel good, feel right to me? Um, so a couple of quotes. I, I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. This is probably from the 60s, so it's pretty old before some of you were born, especially that whole shady impact group. You're like, the 60s, what is this? Um, I love this. So this is a really well-known quote. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I just find that so challenging, right? I just find that so challenging. Why does he say that? He says that because the core of our being is our soul. The core of our being is our spirit. <laughs> this I know it's a beautiful, glorious body, but this body's getting older. A few gray hairs coming. Another 20, 30 years or something. Someone will dig a beautiful hole, chuck me in. Worms, who knows what's going on, right? But my soul, my spirit is immortal. (laughs) Your soul, your spirit is immortal. You will live forever and ever and ever. And so then you read this quote again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us because it defines our life on this planet, and it defines our eternal destiny, right? So if this is true, it's important for me to make sure that the definition that I have of God, the definition that I have of Jesus is correct and not a false construction, right? 
Um, Toza carries on in, in this book um, with this quote. This is the rest of it. We, this next line is really powerful. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. And that's so powerful. Were we able to extract from any man or woman a complete answer to the question, what comes to mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that person. Let me go back to that, that middle bit. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. So if that's true, and I think it is true, then one of the most important things about us is to make sure that our definition of God is correct. Otherwise, my soul is going to be moving towards a false construct of God. Does it make sense? Because that's the core of my whole talk, right? Let me, let me say it again. If, if, if I'm not positive that my definition of God, my understanding of who God is or who Jesus is, if I'm not positive that's correct, and my soul, my spirit, the real me inside is going to naturally move towards this image, then if I'm not sure that's right, then I'm going to be being drawn towards a false God, <laughs> a false definition of God. So again, my question is, how do you know that the God you believe in is the correct definition? How do you know that the Jesus that you follow is the correct definition? Or is it something you've constructed based on your own beliefs, your own likes, your dislikes? Um, kind of challenging. Um, a lot of what I'm going to talk about this morning uh, comes from a really good book by John Mark Comer uh, called God Has a Name. So if you're looking for a good book that expands more um, out on this, so John Mark Comer, God Has a Name. Um, super helpful, super easy to read, really good. Um, and this is a quote that he put in his book. Here's a truth that cuts across the whole of the universe. We become like what we worship. <laughs> we become like what we worship. Makes sense, eh? Jesus talks a lot about this. Whatever we worship, whatever is important to us, we will become like that. It will define us, right? Um, so here's my question. Is your definition of God, and this is a little bit rude, so please don't hear it as rude. I'm more just trying to be real honest. Is your definition of who God is, has it come more from the study of the Bible, from times of prayer, from listening to wide Christian, wise Christians, reading widely, is that where your definition of God has come from? Or has it simply come from what you like and dislike? What you believe in, what you feel? Does it make sense, eh? Because there's a real danger in our society now. Everything in our society is simply about what I like, what I don't like, what I believe. You know, that, that's everything. <laughs> we define our entire existence based on what I like and don't like. It's everywhere, right? It's rampant in social media, right? But it's everywhere. So when it comes to God, I have to be, be convinced that my definition of God, my understanding of who God is, my definition of Jesus, my understanding of who Jesus is, is coming from the Word of God. <laughs> it's coming from times of communion with Him, times of prayer with Him. Otherwise, man, I am barking up the wrong tree, right? <laughs> I'm heading in the wrong direction. Um, let me illustrate. This is a bit of a rough illustration, but man, this sermon didn't mean to start so heavy. So sorry about that. There's more funny, like, America stories coming, so if you're freaking out, just chill. But, um, this is a, a heavy illustration here. Um, to illustrate the difference between people making intentional decisions and just going with what they like, the referendum coming up in our election. And I'm not going to be political, so don't freak out. And now the referendum coming up, we have two referendum votes. So we have the party vote, and then we have the candidate. We all know that. And then we have the referendum on legalising marijuana, legalising euthanasia, right? The majority of New Zealanders are going to go into the booth. They will have done minimal, if any, research on this. Hardly any of them would have read submissions and articles and blah, blah, blah. 
a huge percentage of New Zealanders are simply going to go in there and vote based on what they like, what they don't like, what feels good, what they believe, right? They're not going to do the research. They're not going to do the understanding. And as far as they know, if you explain, they have no idea what the real issue is, right? They're just like, oh, it sounds a good one to me. You tick, I like it, tick, you know? Um, that's where a lot of people are, a lot of Christians, not us, because we're amazing Christians in this church, but those other Christians, judgment on them all. No, I'm joking. Um, heaps of those other Christians are going to do the same thing, right? They're going to go to the, the poll, they're going to look at it, they're going to have done no reading, they're going to have done no research in the Bible, they're going to not have spent some time in prayer saying, God, this is huge for our nation. I need your guidance, I need your wisdom, and they're just going to Take the box that feels good, right? That they like. <laughs> um, but we don't want to be like that, right? When it comes to God, we don't want to do what just feels good. We don't want to have a definition of God that's just nice, that sits with what I, um, what I like, what I, di- what I dislike, what feels good. And this is kind of the core of what I'm saying, right? We often define God based on our beliefs, our likes and our dislikes, right? We often define God based on our beliefs, our likes and our dislikes, um, so what I want to do is look at how does God define himself, right? Not rocket science. It's kind of obvious where we should go on a sermon like this. So how does God actually define himself? So if you've got your Bible, jump over to Exodus 3. We're going to read a few verses in Exodus 3 and then jump to some other verses. Um, Exodus 3, verses 13 to 14. If you've got a device, say, it's good to, to skim there. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. So if you're on your device, you might want to bring that up. Um, just while you turn there, I meant to say, Kia ora to podcast folks, eh? Thanks for making the effort to, um, to join us this morning. I hope the dishes are going well, or the lawns are happening well, or you're focused on the road as you're driving. But bless you, eh? Bless you for um, investing in your relationship with Jesus and hooking in this morning. It's cool. All right, let me read this. This is kind of crazy, so let me set the scene. Um, Exodus 3, so we finished that series on Joseph uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, as you know, if you've read the story, uh, by the end of the Joseph story, um, the nation of Israel, it's very small at the time, has all moved down to Egypt. And so they're in Egypt, and then over the next 400 years, they move from a position of privilege into a position of slavery, right? And there's that classic verse uh, earlier on in here that says that a pharaoh rose who didn't know Joseph. He didn't know the good that Joseph had done for the nation of Egypt. And so now the Israelites are real populous, um, and they become slaves because Egypt's like, oh, there's too many of them, they're going to take over. Oh. All the pharaohs back then had like really high voices. It's this weird, unknown fact, right? I don't know why I do high voices. Um, and so they are in slavery, and they're calling out to God, and then God raises up Moses um, to be their... Um, well, God's their redeemer, but to be the person that leads them out. And so Moses says this really cool thing, and we're going to pick up the story here in verse 13. He kind of goes to God, and he's saying, well, hang on, God, if I'm going to lead them out, you need to tell me who you are. Who am I going to go to these people and say, hey, God has sent me. I need a name. I need a description. And then we get this crazy verse. So verse 13. Um, but Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask me, what is his name? Because in their culture, names were super important. Nowadays, some people name kids with good names. Some people just name them with like random names because they're like, ooh, that sounds super cool. Right? Back then, it was a real deep, meaningful thing. Then what should I tell them? And then God says this crazy thing. God replied to Moses, I am who I am, which I'm like, what the heck does that mean? Oh, slightly confusing God. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Um, I always imagine Moses hearing that and being like, oh, God's about to tell me his name. He's going to define himself. I'm so excited. And then God goes, 
I am who I am. And I always imagine Moses going, I have no idea what you just said. I was already edging my seat, God, and it's kind of ripped off. Man. There's some deep meaning in that, but it's real confusing. So if you jump over to Exodus 34, um, now we have a really good definition of um, a really good definition of God. And this is what I want to unpack for a few minutes. Um, so Exodus 34, we're just going to read verses 4 um, to 7. So again, seeing the context, you know, we're going. So um, we're forward um, a few years now. And God has delivered the people from Egypt, from slavery, uh, through all the plagues and stuff, really cool um, part of the Bible to read. Um, and they're out, and they're trying to figure out how do we follow God, right? And so God gave them the Ten Commandments. And if you remember, Moses goes up to the mountain, gets given the Ten Commandments by God. Um, but then when he comes back down, he's only been gone a short time, and the Israelites have given up on God, um, and they've made a golden calf, and they're sacrificing and worshipping an idol again. And Moses comes down from the mountain, and he's so ticked, he's just like, ka-chinga, and smashes the... I always imagine him doing it in a bit of a fit, and then being like, oh, those are the tablets from God, my bad, <laughs> right? And so then he heads back up the mountain to get new tablets. It's so, kind of crazy. So verse 4, so Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone, like the first ones. Early in the morning, he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. And then we have this, this awesome description of who God is. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. So just so you know, Yahweh, um, if you look at the Hebrew construction, it is a breakdown of I am who I am. So in verse uh, chapter 3, when it said, when God said, I am who I am, he is saying, my name is going to be Yahweh. And then Yahweh is the main name that we have through the whole Bible. It, Yahweh has a meaning of an, of an action. It's like God saying, I am defined by my action. I'm defined by what I do. And because that was before all the plagues, he's saying to Moses, you're going to understand, you're going to see who I am by what I do. Through the plagues, but then through the whole of the history of Israel, through the sacrifice of Jesus. So that's kind of this leading up. There's a lot more to it than that, but just to zoom over it. And then verse 6. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, and here's this really cool description of God. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. So just so you know where we're going, we're going to unpack some of those first bits. But then you have this great, verse 7 is like, what the heck is he on about? But I do not excuse the guilty, and we're like, good. <laughs> and then this whole, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and their grandchildren. It's like, what the heck of their mokopuna, what have their tamariki done? Normally when it comes to God, God punishes the person who does the sin. And then you read this crazy bit that God's like, nah, they do the sin and I'm going to punish the kids. And you're like, what kind of psycho God is this? So I want to unpack that. A little bit at the end, right? But first of all, I want to look at the, um, these beginning bits. And I, I just love this, right? I just love this. This whole God is defined as a God of compassion and mercy. Turn to someone beside you and say, God is a God of compassion and mercy. Can you do that? Turn to someone beside you. God is a God of compassion and mercy. I just love that when, when God defines himself, this is where he starts, right? I teach systematic theology um, for a Bible college, and it's just a level five, so first year uni course, that's so pretty basic. Um, but when you teach systematic theology, you teach all these big attributes of God, right? You talk about his eternality and his independence and his omnipresence, which means he's everywhere, his omnipotent, all these big words, and you talk about all this crazy stuff. But when God comes to define himself, that's not what he does at all, right? 
When God says to us, this is how I want to define himself, the first thing he does is talk about that I'm a God of compassion, right? I'm a God of, of grace or mercy, same kind of sides of, of a coin there. I'm a God of unfailing love. I'm slow to anger. I just love that that's the way God starts off defining himself to us. Um, so this, this passage in, in Exodus, um, Exodus 34 is a real crucial passage uh, right throughout the whole Bible. You see writers coming back to it again and again and again because it's this core definition of who God is. And, and often what they do is they'll, um, they'll quote a bit of it and then they'll explain it. And so you see that in Psalm 103. So if you've got your Bible, jump over to Psalm um, 103 and you'll see God break down what he means by compassion, right? But you'll see what I mean. So we're going to look at verses 8 uh, and verse 13. Um, Verses 8 and verse 13. And you'll see him quote Psalm 34 in verse 8. And then he explains it in verse 13. So verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. And we all now go, Oh, we totally know that. We know that's from Exodus 34. Woo, I'm such a Bible nerd. Excellent. And then you're like, What the heck does he mean by compassionate? What is, how does God define compassion? So if you go down to verse 13, you see this cool definition. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. I love that. Eh? The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to all who fear him. Um, so one of the ways God defines himself is by, by being a parent, right? by being a father to people. Um, so before I go there, I always want to acknowledge some people grew up with terrible fathers, right? Shocking fathers. They were dysfunctional either because of something they did or something that happened to them. And I, again, I just kind of, I don't know, not beg with you, but to say to you, if you don't deal with that through some counselling, through talking to someone wise, you're always going to have a dysfunctional view of God. Does it make sense? Because no matter how much you try, you're going to take the image of your parent who was dysfunctional and bad or maybe evil, and you're going to just naturally put that on God. So it's something you've got to deal with, right? So it's best to deal with it through some counselling, come and talk. I'd love to chat through it with you, talk to someone wise and process that, because it just... It infects your understanding of God, right? So having said that, um, but heaps of you grew up with great parents, right? Loving parents. And so for you, you go, yeah, I get this. This is really cool. This is a really cool image of a parent that is just so compassionate, so loving for their child, right? There's nothing they wouldn't want to do to protect that kid, to bless that kid, to look after that kid. So this kind of illustration, it's like, yeah, I get that. That's a cool one. Thanks, God. It helps me understand what you mean by being compassionate. Um, like a classic way we talk about it with people is heaps of people will, will, will talk to you and they'll say, my kid is so important. And they'll go, okay, you can, you can mess with my house. You can mess with my car. But man, you mess with my tamariki. You mess with my kids. And especially mums, right? Anyone seen mums do this? Man, I was the chair of the board of trustees at our local primary school for like five years. And the number of times a parent, usually wrongly, because I was the best chair of the board, and the, I'm joking, right? Um, and we had an amazing principal. But again and again, a parent would feel that their kid had been harmed, not harmed, like beaten, but, you know, um, not treated fairly in the classroom. Or they, even, like, they got a C, like they're five, and they got a, you know, a C on a thing, and they didn't get whatever. The paper was graded in red pen, and that was just so offensive to their child. So they demand a meeting with the chair of the board and with the principal and come in just like so angry. And some of the mums out, we live in Horahora, Mangatotari, some of those mums, terrifying, right? They would come in. Why? Because we'd hurt, in quotes, we'd messed with their kid, right? Just, I love this image of God, right? He's this protective person, right? 
Um, some funny ways we talk about it, right? So some funny ways we talk about it. Um, so I'm from a rural area, and so this is what a lot of the dads out there would say. They would say, um, they would say, you can mess with my car. You can even mess with my chainsaw. Amen, men. But you mess with my kids, and there's going to be... And then they'd say a bad word to pay, right? <laughs> um, mums might say it like this. Mums might say, um, you can mess with my house. You can mess with my shoe collection. You can even mess with the 1,000 pillows on my bed. But man, you mess with my kids and there will be... Do you know what I mean, eh? We, we get that when we talk about it like this, right? Um, I just love this. Eh? I want you to really hear this. When God looks at you individually, <laughs> when God looks at you individually, God sees this. He goes, man, you can mess up my planet. <laughs> you can mess up my creation. <laughs> You mess with my kids, and I'm coming after you. Why? Because he's a God of compassion. He loves you more than you'll ever understand in this life or the life to come. Just, just sit in that for a moment, man. No matter where you are on your journey with Jesus, you're way more loved, you're way more protected, you're way more blessed than you understand, Right? Way more blessed. Way more cared for. Um, part of my job is to drink lots of coffee in this cafe, which is pretty hard to do, but I managed to push through for Jesus. Amen. Um, and a, another big part of my job is to just catch up with people and pray with them and hang out with them and all that stuff. And, and often I find myself meeting with people in tough situations, right? Marriage is tough. Kids are driving them crazy or parents are driving them crazy. Um, Health is really bad, whatever it is. And one of the things I find myself saying again and again is just that God has got you in this. God's timing is weird. <laughs> the way he journeys us through hard situations is weird, but God has got you, right? I just say it again and again, right? God has got you. Man, I just love that, eh? What does it mean that God's a God of compassion? It means that he, he's got you. <laughs> he's with you in, in whatever situation you're in, eh? I, I just love that. Um, and then we come to this gracious one. What does gracious mean? Or mercy. It's kind of like two sides of the same coin. And there's a cool, um, cool passage here in Exodus 22 that explains it. So let me read this. It's kind of a funny illustration, but it's God himself illustrating by what he means by merciful or gracious. If you lend money to any of my people who are in need, do not charge interest as a money lender would. If you take your neighbor's cloak as security for a loan, you must return it before sunset. This coat may be the only blanket your neighbor has. How can a person sleep without it? I love that, eh? If you do not, this is the cool bit, if you do not return it and your neighbor cries out to me for help, then I will hear for I am merciful. <laughs> I'm gracious. I just love that, eh? It's like God is compassionate. But there's, there's also this, this real protective, this just side to God. And that's what I was saying before. It's this whole, man, you can mess with creation. You can mess with the planet. But when someone messes with one of God's kids, it's like God is right there. I love that, eh? God loves you with a deep, protective, and providing kind of love. God loves you in a way that naturally draws him to you when you're in need. I love that, eh? Naturally draws him to you when you're in need. And I love this definition. I love that when God says to humanity... I will now define myself. Those are the two phrases he starts with, right? It's not I'm eternal, it's not I'm omnipotent, all-powerful, whatever. It's that I'm gracious, um, I'm compassionate, 
slow to anger. I'm abounding in love. I just love that. Um, the rest of the ones in there I can, I can leave because it makes sense, right? Um, you can do a word study on it. They're pretty easy to understand. But I just want to unpack this end bit um, briefly. So let me read it again and then unpack it. Because the reason I'm doing it, if you're like, why are you doing this, bro? Just leave us with the compassion in God. That was cool. Yay. The reason I'm doing it is I, I don't want to be one of those preachers that, like, I've noticed some preachers, they, they preach the easy bit, and then you, you carry on reading, and you're like, whoa, that next verse, I'd love to see him explain that one, Mr. Funny Preacher Pants. I just don't want to, like, you know, push the sneaky verses to the side, so I just wanted to unpack it a little bit, because this is God defining himself, so it's important for us to understand, right? So let me read it, and then I'll explain it. Um, I, I lavish, this is verse 7 of Exodus 34, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations, um, when the Bible uses the word thousand, it means just forever, all right? So when God says, um, what does he say, a, a thousand, what is it, a thousand years are like a day to God. He's not meaning a literal every thousand years of human God's like, and that'll be a day, another thousand years, and that'll be a day. It's a metaphor meaning it's just a heck of a long time. So that's what he's saying. I love that, eh? I lavish unfailing love to, to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. I do not excuse the guilty. We, we go, yes, I'm glad about that. Um, and then there's this crazy bit. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. It's like, what is he saying here? And to me, once I break it down, you're going to be like, oh, sweet ass, super easy to understand. It doesn't mean that God is this evil, horrible God who beats up kids because their parents messed up, right? It totally doesn't mean that. Um, so two sim- there's heaps more to it, but two simple meanings are, are this. Um, one is, man, we see this in society all the time, Right? We see this in society all the time. If the parent messes up and the parent does evil, it infects the kids, always, right? In our society now, if the dad is addicted to meth, I'll put a box of cash on it. The kids are going to be dysfunctional. Why? Because the parent is evil. The parent is doing evil, right? The sin of that parent just flows down to the kid. And often to the mokopuna, it often flows down further, right? We see it in, in life. So that's a big part of what he's saying. Um, if a mum is just addicted to work and the only place she can find meaning and fulfillment in her life is in work, and in doing that she neglects her kids, we're all going to go, duh, the kids are going to be messed up, <laughs> right? We just see it. So when he says this, it, that, that sin flows down, that's what he's saying. When parents sin, when parents do evil, when parents mess up and don't follow the, the, the teaching of God, it's going to infect the kids, the kids, the kids. Does that make sense, eh? That's kind of an easy way to understand Let's try that again. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, because there's a lot of you that just looked at me like, which terrifies me, because then I'm like, man, am I like speaking a foreign language? Hopefully not. Okay, here's the second reason. Just all humans are born as sinners, right? All humans are born as sinners. Um, as far as I've seen, you never have to teach a kid to sin, right? Has anyone ever had to sit down with one of their kids and be like, hey, hey, we need to talk about sinning? Never, No. Um, so I have two daughters, so I apologize to them for this, but never did I have to sit down with my daughters and teach them to sin, right? So it's not like when they were four, when they were four, it's not like I sat down with them and said, okay, you've been perfect for these last four years. It's been incredible. You vacuum the house most days, um, wash the dog every day. It's glorious. And man, last weekend when you painted the whole house, I know you were only three, but that was fantastic. You're just, I mean, no one, Right. Um, no one said, but so now you're four, I need to talk to you about sinning. So here's a couple of cool ways to sin. So an excellent way to sin would be gossip. So let's practice it a little bit. Let's choose one of your friends. Let's make up some lies around them. But, you know, it's stupid. We don't have to, right? We pop out of the womb, ready to sin, right? Amen? Yeah, we shouldn't say amen to that. That's a bad thing, right? 
But that's true, right? We come out and we are pre-programmed. We have a predisposition to sin. Does that make sense, eh? Make sense? Yeah, we come out and we're ready to sin. No one has to teach us um, how to sin. And this is the other thing that, that he's saying here. The other thing he's saying is that sin just kind of flows down. My parents, um, Malcolm and Judy, um, were sinners. Awesome people. <laughs> sinners. So I'm a sinner. My kids, sorry kids, <laughs> sinners. Sin, sin, sin. Just keeps on going. And one of the ways to understand it is because Adam was a representative of the human race, right? So Adam was a representative of the human race. So when Adam sinned, it infected the entire human race, right? So there's a cool verse that makes it real clear. Um, here in Romans 5, verse 12 says, When Adam sinned, that sin entered, in, um, entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned, right? For everyone sinned. Um, it kind of feels unfair, and it feels like you want to say to God, whoa, 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 I never signed up for this. That's not very fair. And God would say, yeah, but every time you sin, you choose to sin. <laughs> every time you sin, you choose to sin. No one sins and they're like, help, I am on a sinning treadmill. I can't stop. I'm sinning. I'm gossiping. You know, it's something we do intentionally. So although on one hand we can be like, it's not fair. It's like, yeah, it's still intentional sin that we do, right? So that's all that, that those verses mean at the end. I think it's pretty easy to understand. I think one of the key things I love, and I wanted to just go back to this verse here, um, in the middle of verse um, 7, it says, I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Man, I just love that, eh? I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And I, I think what God's doing here before he goes into this whole sin is going to carry on through generations. He wants to remind us that he's a God of forgiveness and a God of love, right? And this comes back to his, his compassion. This comes back to him being a God of grace who is slow to anger. Um, every one of us in this room deserves to go to hell. <laughs> we really do, Right? Every one of us in this room has done sin. And some of us have done some pretty awesome sins, to be honest. Some of us not so bad, like Laura, maybe one or two sins in her entire life, right? Laura, loveliest person ever. Um, but man, some of us, we've got like sins coming out our ears, right? And we deserve that punishment from God, right? We deserve God to not forgive us. But I love it how the whole way through the Bible is this, this constant message that God is not a God who treats us how we deserve. He's a God who treats us with love and compassion and care, right? Does it make sense, eh? Make sense? Let me, let me illustrate it with a stupid illustration, right? Um, so we have some sheep at home, which you guys are learning a lot about our sheep in the last few months, which is good for you. Um, and so at the moment, we only have four because we're going through winter. And winter, we just don't have a lot of grass at our place just because I'm a useless shepherd, but that's all good. Um, and so at the moment, one of the lambs, which is now a bit older, is an idiot. And it just escapes all the time, and it just makes me so angry. And no matter how amazing my fencing skills are at fencing up the holes, five minutes later, the lamb's found a new hole, and it's popped out, and it's on the lawn, eating the passion fruit all the other day, went through the fence and got to the neighbours, which they were just pumped about because I was eating in their vegetable garden, so that was not good. So it's just evil, and I had this lamb just drives me crazy. <sighs> So, this next bit is disgusting, right? So if I offend you in this, all complaints can go to Pastor Dave, right, with his beautiful moustache. Um, so the lamb was getting really bad dags. So if you don't know what dags are, dags are when um, the sheep hasn't been shorn for a little while, and when it goes to the restroom, using nice words, um, the poo, I can't say it else, it starts getting caught up in its wool, and this lamb was getting real daggy, so it was massive 
massive, just big clumps of poop all around its butt. And I was like, well, stuff you, stupid lamb. I cleaned up the butts of everyone else, called dagging them, but I left that idiot because I was like, if you want to keep escaping, I'm not going to, right? I was ticked with it. And then this last week, I was working on the sermon, and I was thinking about this, how God does not treat us as we deserve. Honest, no lie. I was working on my sermon yesterday, and I was like, man, I'm called to replicate Jesus. Darn it. So I went out, <laughs> caught the stupid lamb, which was a nightmare, wrestled it into the pen, got my clippers out, and just I'm holding giant chunks of poop, right, clipping it off, going, oh, this is just disgusting, right, disgusting, right? Why? Because I want to not treat the lamb as it deserves, because it keeps escaping. <laughs> um, I don't want to get too graphic and now transferring it over to us, because that could be kind of gross, right? But all of you have sin in your life. <laughs> all of you are escaping <laughs> from the, the wise fences that God puts around you. Me too. I'm not saying you guys are me as well. Or I'm the master of escaping, right? God would be totally right to look at you and be like, well, you've got dags all over you, so good luck with that. Let's see where that, where that takes you. But instead, that's not his style. Instead, he's a God of love, God of compassion, a God who does not treat us as we deserve, and he catches us. <laughs> Some of us, he's had to wrestle us to the ground, <laughs> and he cleans us up in the name of Jesus, Right? He cleans us up in the name of Jesus. Man, I just love that, eh? I just love that. And let me finish by um, talking briefly about Jesus. This is real fast. This is real fast. So I've talked a bit about God, right, and, and this whole importance that we must define God based on who he says he is, um, not just on who we think he is, right? And so obviously as we go into this whole series on Jesus, um, we're going to see Jesus define himself, Right? So the tagline that we, we came up with on this is Jesus in his own words, right? Jesus in his own words. How does Jesus define himself? Again, I might have crafted an image of Jesus, who Jesus is, based on my belief, based on what I like and don't like. Um, and I, I love this, this these, these verses here from Matthew. Um, and to me, this is a real core of what we're going to talk about as we go through this series. Um, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Key question, right? Um, do you see what he does? First of all, he says, who do people say I am? They give him, this is what people say. And then he brings it right down personal, right? And he says, but who do you say I am? Um, so this is what I want to finish with, right? Who do you say um, Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? And the, the big question as we go through this series is, how do you know that your definition of Jesus is correct according to the word of God? How do you know? How can you guarantee? Because remember, your soul is going to go towards God, naturally. <laughs> so if I've defined God wrong, if I've defined Jesus wrong, then that's where my soul's going to go, which is terrifying. So how do you know that the definition you have of Jesus is correct, is based on the Bible? It's based on what he says rather than what we think is good, what we like, what we dislike, right? Let me pray. Let me pray for us. Just before I pray, I just want to kind of, I don't know, I want to be really honest with this one. Um, like I said before, everything in our society screams at us now to define everything based on what we like and don't like, right? This is how it is. And so it's really dangerous for us to have moved without an, an evil intention or anything, but to have moved to be following a Jesus of our own construct, 
A Jesus that we have defined rather than allowing him to define us. We define him based on our likes, dislikes, feelings, and so on. And so I just really want to ask you as a pastor, one of the elders here, I just want to say to you, I really believe this next series is going to be crucial for us to ensure that our definition of Jesus, remember which our soul is going to naturally go towards, is just essential for us as a church, essential for us as individuals. I know we're busy people and we've got crazy lives, but I just really want to ask you, can you make every effort to be here each Sunday? To, to track through this series, to make sure that your definition of Jesus is exactly who he says he is. Um, those of you on podcast, man, we love you. No, you couldn't be here today for good reasons, but just call out to you on the podcast and say, man, can you make every effort to be here um, every Sunday to hear Jesus defined? If you miss a, a, a Sunday church, make sure you catch the podcast and, and hear this. Okay, then the last thing I'm going to say, and then I'll pray. You have to, to listen to this series. You have to read the Word of God with a very open heart because we love holding on to what we like. <laughs> we love holding on to what we like, and it's very hard to change what we like. And if we hear Jesus speaking to us through this series, we must change. <laughs> We must change. Right, let me pray for us. Yeah. Yeah, kororia atua. Yeah, glory to you, God. Yeah, Almighty God, we want to follow a correct definition of you. We want to follow a correct definition of Jesus. And we need you to speak to us. We need you to guide us. Um, and they're not... I just feel like how terrifying to get to the end of our life, stand before you at the end of our life and go, oh my God, <laughs> I had it totally wrong. <laughs> I had it totally wrong. I didn't dig into the word. I didn't spend time in prayer. I didn't talk to wise people. I defined you based on just what I liked, what felt good to me. And now that I'm confronted by who you are, I am just on my knees going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah, teach us always who you are. Help us to be submissive to your will so we change our beliefs based on who you are rather than changing you based on what our beliefs are. Yeah, teach us as we go through this series who really is Jesus. At the same time, thanks for your love, thanks for your understanding. Thanks that you journey with us in our growth and in our development. And we love that. Eh? Give us good ears to hear you as you lead us, as you guide us. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.